Hello and welcome to Hannah's Bank and Insights. I'm Daniel Marnie. We're going to do a slightly different episode this week and today I'm joined by two colleagues from our capital markets team, Sarah Rigby and Cameron Willard. We're going to look at currency markets and what's influencing the pound sterling. We're going to look at what's happening with GDP and how it's being driven by services growth but maybe not necessarily manufacturing growth. And we will also look at the energy market and what's happened previously and what will happen in the future. So Cam, if I start with you, we're looking at currency markets. I know on the trading floor you do a lot of you do a lot of swaps, but you also do a lot of foreign exchange transactions. Can you just briefly outline to our listeners what what are the main determining factors that influence exchange rates? I suppose the short answer is anything and everything can affect currency markets in some way, shape, or form. And the main reason for that is because it's the easiest way to express a view on a country or a global theme because foreign exchange markets are the most accessible, most liquid market available. Drilling down a bit further, I guess the main short-term factors are, of course, data, especially at the moment around inflation. Inflation is a key print. And other sort of headline numbers like GDP, of course, employment. More so actually these days is, is the forward-looking data, which I know we'll touch upon, sort of the purchase management index and, and other sentiment data, which, uh, which are released uh, for globally. So they're the ones that we tend to look out for and can cause some knee-jerk reactions in markets. Sort of more medium term, the biggest factor however, is interest rates. Um, as I'm sure we, we all know, uh, the higher interest rate that's applied to a currency, the more attractive assets are in that particular uh, currency. So therefore, naturally, liquidity will gravitate towards that that particular one. So the two determining factors seem to be interest rates and sentiment towards a country. So Sarah, if, if we can take those two themes and look what's happened to sterling over the past few years, can you just outline you know, why sterling has performed in the way it has done? Yes, so... 2022 was a tough year for sterling. The UK was the only G7 country not to recover from pre-pandemic levels in terms of growth. Uh, We also saw a lot of political and fiscal uncertainty. This escalated obviously into September with the mini budget where we saw sterling euro hitting lows of 1.08 and sterling dollar hit a low of a historic low of 1.0350. But then we saw a new government, a new prime minister, a new chancellor, uh, which brought reduced political risk and also fiscal policy, stabilised public finances. And this kind of restored calm. So from the beginning of this year, we've seen sterling euro trading around 111 to 114.50 range and sterling dollar around 119 to 125. But it is important to say that this isn't just sterling weakness. There has been a lot of US dollar strength from mid-2021 to kind of autumn 2022. The US had aggressive rate hikes and with rising US bond yields, this drove the uh, currency higher. And then we also had the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which strengthened US dollar as the US dollar is the safe haven currency. So in terms of it's the biggest emergency exit. So when there is any kind of trauma, people move into the US dollar because they know that then they can trade out of the US dollar into various different markets. And so the US dollar got a lot of strength on the back of that. So really, and you could see that uh, with euro dollar as well, where we kind of saw it go from in mid twenty. One, it was kind of 122, and then we saw it drop down to kind of 0.95 levels in September last year. 
So that's kind of the backdrop. Also, it's worth saying on an interest rate point of view that we, we've seen that the US was the first to start hiking rates aggressively, then the UK, and then Eurozone. So as the others started to catch up, dollar weakened off a little bit and as kind of concern around uh, Ukraine as well, that started to stabilise the other countries, which is why we've seen it settle in that range. At the beginning of your answer, you were talking about some of the problems the pound was having during the mini budget and the autumn period. And as you say, the pound seems to have regained uh, quite substantially since then. When did you sort of see this regain in, in the pound? Was there a particular pivot point or has it been a sort of slow transition back to strengthening in the pound? Yeah, I think people have been quite negative about the pound. I think we'd all argue that it's been oversold uh, mm. in recent years. I think probably on the back of Brexit a little bit, just concerns around how, how the UK is going to trade now that, now that they're out of the EU. But what we have seen is with the UK surprise index, which is the surprise element, uh, which is calculated as a percentage between the difference in actual economic data versus the median of what analysts expect, uh, the forecast. And what we've seen there is that it has remained positive over the last few years, but it's been snubbed a little bit by the market. Whereas recently, we're starting to see economic data, uh, certainly since the beginning of, I'd say, mid-March this year, we've seen that the data that's coming out is always surprising to the upside. You know, the PMI service sector data, came in at 55.9, which was the highest in a year. Seen quarterly growth, although it stayed benign, it is actually not in recession, which is what had been currently expected as well. And employment data as well, the expectation was that we would see that move more towards four, whereas it stayed kind of at that 3.8. So the UK is just, the data is outperforming expectations. Right, so it sounds like because the UK data has been outperforming expectations, that really has meant a rally in sterling uh, right up until this point, which is obviously very encouraging. I think that turns nicely on to what may happen in the future. So Sarah was saying sterling dollar and sterling euro is performing pretty well at the moment. Do you think that's going to be sustained over the course of this year into next year, Cam? Yeah, so I think from a from a fundamental point of view, um, when we talk about fundamental, we're mainly talking about interest rates, as I said, because that tends to be the main medium-term driver of, of where currency rates go. Against the dollar, I think there's definitely some momentum in favour of the pound. Uh, if you look at where interest rates are expected to go, uh, so for context, the US central bank did raise rates last week, so they're now at a higher level than what the UK is at 525 But they've signalled that that is basically the end now, so they don't see any more interest rate increases coming in. And actually, if you look at market expectations over the next uh, 12 to 24 months, the market expects actually interest rates to come down quite considerably in the US and on the back of the recent banking turmoil and the imminent recession that seems likely uh, over the other side of the channel, uh, or the Atlantic even. Um, against the euro, though, it's a, bit, it's a bit of a different story because one factor is that the geographical proximity means that both UK and Europe are affected by similar factors. So there's not that divergence there. And actually, even though European interest rates are lower than what they are in the UK, the expected pathway over the next two years is fairly similar. I.e. there's still a bit more to come in terms of interest rate increases, but they will gradually uh, start to fall uh, over the next uh, two years, let's say, or even further out to five years. So there isn't that divergence there to suggest that the pound would benefit massively from that divergence and wouldn't see sterling euro increase. 
materially, at least in the current context, until, until a new catalyst comes along, of course. But I think from a fundamental point of view, against the dollar, there is definitely room for more strength, potentially up towards 130. We're at 126 now. So 130 seems like a key level in the next 12 months to, to aim for. So in that answer, you mentioned that markets are expecting quite significant rate cuts in the US. Uh, so I suppose that prompts the question, what happens if that doesn't happen? Some, of course, forecasters think that rates are going to stay at the, their current level uh, for a little while. And also, I wonder whether, if, you know, if we see more turmoil, we obviously had quite a lot of turmoil in March. If we saw further turmoil, how would that affect the, the currency markets? The answer to the first part is that um, naturally, if uh, rate cuts expected by the market start to be priced out, then that will benefit the dollar. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's no doubt about that because that, a lot of that is ingrained into the price already and it'll just be a readjustment which will see the dollar strengthen on the back of that. In terms of the second part regarding the bank and terminal where we see any more stress come out of that, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because in one way, at the moment, it is solely focused in the US. There's not really that escalation or contagion outside uh, into Europe or the UK, uh, there's not been the same level of uh, concern expressed around individual banks that there has been over the other side. And of course, there, there is still concern around ongoing tightening of credit, which it seems it's, it's going to go on everywhere, but it seems massively impacting US businesses at the moment, especially in the commercial real estate side of things. So on one side, you'd expect that the prospects for the US economy would fall, at least in comparison to, to here and in Europe. But on the flip side, as Sarah mentioned, the idea of this uh, dollar being a safe haven currency and it depends how much it impacts markets more widely if we see a wider concern expressed in equity markets or bond markets then you would expect to see the dollar probably have some form of support on the back of that but if you're looking further afield you probably see more strength coming from the likes of the swiss franc or the japanese yen which are other typical safe haven currencies very interesting and it seems as though credit conditions are tightening quite a bit in the us so that will will we'll certainly be uh, focusing on that over the next couple of months and what that could mean for the UK, of course. Let's move on to a new topic and what's driving UK GDP growth at the moment. Sarah, before you were mentioning that UK economic indicators are performing better um, than expected, well, that forecasters have been expecting at least. Uh, but there does seem to be a discrepancy between where this growth is coming from, particularly if you compare the services and manufacturing sectors. Can you just outline what that's all about? Yes, so the Purchase Managing Index measures the performance in uh, various sectors. It tends to focus on either the service sector or the manufacturing sector, and it derives from a survey. So any level above 50 would see growth uh, in that sector. A figure below 50 shows that that sector is actually contracting. What we've seen in the UK is that the service data is doing incredibly well. It's around 55.9 in April, which is the biggest growth we've seen in a year. Underneath that, that data, it showed that there's strong consumer spending. People are going on holiday. We've got you know t- travel and tourism and leisure subsectors are doing incredibly well. But when we look at the manufacturing data, that's actually the one of the sections in the surprise index, which is actually showing that it isn't the data is not coming out as expected. Mm-hmm. It's coming out below. We're currently at a level of forty-seven point eight, so it's contracting. And this isn't only in the UK. We can see this in the US with the ASM PMI, which is currently at forty-seven point one, and in the EU. We've got that at 45.8, and that's 10 consecutive months of contraction in the manufacturing sector. And this really stems from the fact that the manufacturing is more susceptible to 
the immediate exposure of an increase in interest rates and commodity prices. And that's where we're seeing the real pressure. So I think the concern is, as we see further rate hikes and as the rate hikes and inflation embeds more into the economy, how is that going to impact the service sector as well? Is it going to have bigger impacts and, you know, and will that impact growth? It's not just a UK problem. This is, you know, within all of the G7 countries at the moment. Of course, that's a really important point, isn't it, about monetary policy transmission is that it takes some time to feed into the economy. I mean, potentially up to six quarters. Sarah was mentioning there that um, financial market conditions hit the manufacturing sector harder than the service sector. But of course, that's not the only reason, is it, that manufacturing gets hit harder? If we look at energy costs, that's a much bigger uh, factor that influences uh, the manufacturing sector versus the service sector. So Cam, could we just dig down on what's happening in the energy market a little bit? We've obviously seen quite dramatic falls in spot on future prices. Um, Can you just outline what the dynamics are behind that? Yeah, of course. So um, if, we, if we drill down again within the energy market for, for the UK and more widely, we'd focus on oil prices and natural gas prices. In the oil market, we've seen uh, Brent crude, which is the, the main uh, type of, of fuel that we're talking about here. And it's uh, one that's outside of the US, so it matters more to us. The Brent crude price has fallen from around $85 a barrel at the start of the year to uh, as low as $70 a barrel uh, mid-March, and it has recovered a little bit since. Um, but ultimately, we've seen quite a substantial drop there. And the main reason for that is it's nothing technical. It's more just concerns around demand going forward, especially around the US with an imminent recession, as we've already alluded to. But also the dynamics in China. Uh, the, at the start of the year, markets were very, very sort of confident and optimistic around the prospects of China this year. And the data hasn't really followed that yet. Um, so they're still waiting for that to turn and to look more positive. But right now, that's not lived up to expectations fully. The headline numbers have looked quite good, but drilling down into the actual details and the forward-looking indicators haven't looked quite as rosy for China. So that has led to some forecasters changing their view around where oil prices could go this year. But that, at the moment, has been a defining sort of factor as we've seen a drop in, a drop in oil. In regards to natural gas, again, it's not too dissimilar. It, a lot of it is a demand demand side, which we've seen a substantial fall in prices. So just for context, the price of UK gas measured as a pence per firm has fallen from a high of around 600 pence per firm or just over during a high up to summer last year when energy uh, crisis was in the headlines and it's now uh, under 100 so it's around 82 pence per firm so that's a really substantial drop um, and we get asked a lot of time why is that there's a lot of reasons for it number one is quite frankly luck it's the fact that we've had a much milder winter than we normally have compared to historical averages Number two, as I mentioned, is that uh, substantial fall in demand, which has been sort of pushed not only by individuals, but also by governments as well. That's especially the case in Europe, where they've actually set targets for demand consumption. And on the back of that as well, is we've seen a huge increase in influx of imports from liquefied natural gas, which uh, has helped fill the hole, uh, which was lost from Russian supply through pipelines, for example. Uh, so they're the main reasons that we've seen a substantial fall in prices, and, and they are staying low. They haven't moved for a while. Uh, around this sort of under 100 pence level just because demand is, is relatively subdued. And, and this fall in energy prices is obviously going to help with the impl- inflation picture. We have discussed on a previous episode about the base effect and how, you know, given you're uh, comparing annual figures to very high figures in the previous year, that's going to uh, mean inflation drops. But obviously these kind of drops uh, mean that inflation in absolute terms, the, the bit that's, that's pushed by energy at least, is going to fall, fall as well, isn't it? Yeah, exactly that. And I think obviously for UK, the off-gen price cap matters. 
at the moment. I know we have the energy price guarantee, which mitigates some of that. Uh, the, the cap is currently higher than the free grand guarantee at the moment, or the average uh, usage. But if you look at what the estimates are based on where current uh, futures market point to, uh, I think the Cornwall Institute say that the, the cap should drop 37% on the next uh, next reading, which will take it to just over two grand, which you know, is much below the energy price guarantee uh, level at the moment. Um, and I said, naturally, as you say, that that will, that will lead to a fall in inflation and potentially deflation in the energy market, which uh, is expected to market. This is not new to the market. We did expect to see energy deflation coming through. Problem is, in terms of the end impact on, on businesses and the households, it will be fairly lagged again, just because we know a lot of people are on fixed prices, which uh, we need to wait for them to roll off before they go onto new tariffs. So whilst the actual inflation number will come down, the actual effect of that might not be seen through the economy for a while. It sounds like relatively good news, but what about next year? What happens if we don't have the same luck, we don't have a mild winter? Could we see a spike in energy prices again towards the end of this year and into winter next year? It's, it's a definite possibility. I think if you ask any major energy analyst to say that, you know, is this, is this the new normal? That they were still putting them in a caution towards that. They'll still be rather concerned about what could happen in the winter. If you look at the moment, there is actually a slight divergence between spot pricing or, or pricing today or for the nearest to deliver future compared to, say, November or January next year. It's not huge, but there is that divergence there where prices are going higher uh, during the winter months, as, as you probably would expect it to, as demand picks up naturally. But the main concern not only is the fact for you know, European or UK demand for gas, but it's also the emergence of Asian demand. That was what the big call was at the start of the year as a, as a top concern as to how natural gas prices could stay high. Is that last year, especially in China and other economies in Asia, they sort of pivoted back towards other alternative sources of energy, such as coal, during the times when they just needed security of supply. But now as focus turns back towards you know, cleaner, cleaner sources, there is the, the the expectation that they will come back towards natural gas markets, especially as the price has become more attractive. But that demand hasn't, hasn't been seen yet, as you said, maybe because the, the data has not been optimistic and, and the growth prospects are perhaps uh, were slightly too, too rosy at the start of the year. But that, that if you ask any analyst, their main concern still is around Asian demand coming through to the winter next year. And weather's, of course, unpredictable, which will always play a part as well. Right, so a lot of moving parts and a lot of uncertainty, it seems. So we'll see what happens um, during the rest of this year. Cam, Sarah, thank you very much for joining us on Handles Bank and Insights. And if you've liked what you've heard at home, don't forget to rate us on the app where you're listening because it helps other people find us. And you may also want to share this episode on social media. We will be back next week with James and myself and we look forward to seeing you.